0: FOREVER! Welcome back to another episode of the queerity Podcast. I am your host, Gabe Gonzalez, and you are listening to a weekly show from queerity and Forever Dog, where I will be covering news, politics, and pop culture impacting the LGBTQ community. I'll invite a guest to come hang out. We're going to reflect on the week, maybe laugh about some things, cry about some things, trash some people who are terrible, and then generally keep it cute. Today, I am saying good morning to Lil Nas X, whose latest single debuted at number one on the Billboard charts only, and not the Arkansas legislature, who seemed dead set on passing invasive dehumanizing and transphobic laws, despite a veto from their governor earlier this week. But we have got more to cover today, including Kate Winslet's running tally of closeted actors, a hate group fundraising off a video that should have been taken offline by now, surprise, and why one Alabama pastor thinks there's something inside gay people and it needs to pull out. I'm sorry, come out. You get what I mean. Plus, we'll be interviewing a comedian and actor you may recognize from the QWERTY Awards and whose videos you have undoubtedly seen online. Michael Henry is joining us today and I'm really excited to talk to him. But first, we gotta talk about those headlines I mentioned in a little segment I like to call Catch Her Up. Our first story of the week, Kate Winslet says she knows at least four actors who are terrified of coming out. Uh, okay. We get it, Kate Winslet. You have gay friends. They trust you. You are the grace to their will. Wow. Good for you. And look, to be fair, she brings up a valid point, right? Which is that in Hollywood, queer stories are often worthy of praise, but queer actors are often pigeonholed or have their opportunities limited. And uh, according to her interview, it's not so much that they're terrified of uh, the way they might be treated, but more so that they're terrified of the professional impact that coming out might have on their lives. She talked about one of these actors who's bisexual, whose agent said uh, he should not come out because it would. Would impact the kind of roles he gets. And it's kind of wild because Kate Winslet in the film Ammonite is kind of an example of this herself. You have to ask yourself how often are straight actors praised for the bravery of playing a queer role, while queer or trans actors are told they wouldn't be convincing in a cis straight role, and sometimes aren't even considered for those roles. I think there's a valid point to be made, and I understand why maybe her heart is in the right place in bringing it up. But she also didn't need to say anything about those four people. Like, I feel like people are just going to try to figure out who they are now. And it's just kind of weird for her to speak on their behalf. I don't know. I don't think you need to cryptically invoke your friends to make a point. It's not quite. I can't be homophobic. I have gay friends, but it is dangerously close. So that felt a little weird to me. Straight from the woman who told Jack there was no room on that door. I don't trust her. All right, let's move on to the next story of the week. YouTube is letting a group fundraise off a video telling parents to reject trans kids and surprise, they aren't uh, the only social media site. A group called Prager University, a right wing propaganda group, not a university, despite having a name that feels reminiscent of a for profit college that will steal your tuition and run, has shared a video on their YouTube channel calling on the parents of trans people to reject their children. In the video, they also misgender trans people, call transitioning a fantasy and rely on false or cherry picked data to make the assertion that, quote, 10 years ago, it was unlikely that you knew someone who identified as transgender. Today, it's unlikely that you don't know someone who identifies as transgender. End quote. They called this supposed trend disturbing. This seems pretty obviously to be hate speech, in my opinion. And then above the description of this video is a notice on YouTube that uh, the video is a part of a fundraising push by the group. The sidebar shows PragerU has raised almost $53,000 from the solicitation that denigrates trans men as troubled girls and calls transitioning a fantasy. So that is not something that should exist on the Internet and is certainly not something that people should be raising money off of. And YouTube's terms of service are pretty clear about this. They supposedly protect transgender people from videos like this, as do Twitter and Facebook. They have similar restrictions on posts targeting trans people with hateful speech or lies on their sites. But PragerU's tweet sharing this video is still up and their Facebook post featuring it is also still up. So, you know, it would be great to see these social media sites actually enforce the anti hate speech policies they have passed and make a big deal about passing, but they don't always. Surprise. Surprise. All right. Our third story of the week is a little less of a bummer, although definitely very bizarre. Uh, An evangelical pastor claims homosexuality is just a spirit inside of us. Uh, A born-again Christian pastor and self-proclaimed prophet in Alabama had a recent sermon he posted online highlighted by the extremist watchdog group Right Wing Watch. And in this sermon, he says that he believes being gay is just behavior caused by a spirit hiding inside of homosexual people that is keeping an, an evangelist hidden inside of us from coming out and praising the Lord, I guess. He went on to describe that the hidden evangelist inside queer people is a gift being kept in a tomb, a sort of stone closet, if you will. And during his sermon, he called upon the evangelist inside the homosexual to come forth to come out. This is maybe the only call to come out that I might disagree with. Certainly a bit different than Kate Winslet's, uh, but definitely a little disorienting. This man also claimed that Joe Biden doesn't exist and uh, that he holds the power to summon Donald Trump back into the presidency. So I think it's fair to say we should take anything he says with a grain of salt. Now that we've waded through that absolute show of news stories this week, that I'm sure we will have developments we will update you on. It is time to invite on today's guest. And this person is a comedian who you may recognize from his videos, particularly his comedy sketches online. He was a 2020 QWERTY nominee. His comedy has bravely taken on topics like the unfortunate phenomenon of gay baiting, as well as the proper way to classify a twink, an ability that still eludes me. And you can see him most recently alongside folks like Tammy Brown, Pandora Box, and Kelly Mantle in the digital series Queen with a Cause. Please welcome to the podcast, Michael Henry. How you doing?
1: Hi i'm good how are you
0: great thanks for joining us today thank you for having me of course where are you coming from
1: where are you where are you at these days i'm in my apartment i've been in here for 12 months i'm hoping to get out Same. I feel that. It's really (laughs) exciting. But the part of the globe my apartment is in is Los Angeles. Oh, I got you. Y'all had an earthquake pretty recently that Twitter kind of flipped out about. I've been in LA for a long time and my body is acclimated to the earth shaking. I sleep through all of it. I've, everybody's like, "Did you feel the earthquake?" I <laughs> sleep through everything.
0: Amazing, honestly. That's a that's a skill you've got to have. I think growing up in Florida, I learned to sleep through hurricanes and thunderstorms, but that was about it.
1: I think an earthquake is a little scarier than. Well, that's where are you? New York? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. New Yorkers. I grew up in New York. New Yorkers don't know. All my parents are always like, "Did you feel the earthquake?" I heard there was an earthquake. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't feel it. And honestly, it never really does that much damage here that I know of.
0: Yeah, it seems like they've been. Um, pretty mild lately, which is great. That's lovely. My family's from Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico has also been getting like random earthquakes over the past few years that are stronger than they've ever got. I don't know. We're destroying the planet. She's probably lashing back. What is going on? We are in illness. This planet is trying to
1: shake off. Okay. We are the coronavirus of the globe. That's what some people say. My therapist said that coronavirus is the mother nature's payback. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that your therapist is just purely a nihilist. It's just like, look, man. He's like, we've been destroying the planet for years, and now the universe is giving us a taste of our own medicine.
0: That's a valid point, though. Honestly, if this planet were a person, I would not begrudge her revenge on us. I would watch an entire series of her getting even with humanity.
1: A hundred percent. There's... I love more than revenge. Yes. Well, Michael,
0: I want to cut to the chase here. And I do want to ask you a bit about the work that you do. I've seen so many of your comedy sketches online and I've seen you appear in videos with all these uh, really great uh, comedic drag queens that live in L.A. as well. And I guess I want to kick things off with kind of a a general question. I do feel like a lot of comedians and writers that are creating or publishing content online really have to know how to work on a tight budget and kind Mm -hmm. of just roll with the punches, right? Like Mm -hmm. quick deadlines, not a lot of money. In your experience, you've been doing this for a little bit. What is one of the biggest hurdles you faced when you started making videos to publish online?
1: I originally just came to LA to be an actor and then a comedian and then all these other things. So I don't have any technical skills. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how to work the computer. It's like, I don't really know that side of things. So I was like, I'm really out of hindrance because this is before TikTok and stuff where everybody's a, computer, a, a video editor now. That was my biggest hindrance. But once I found other friends, I, I did Second City out here. And once I met some friends there that knew that side of things, that was what really got the wheels rolling because I knew how to write, I knew comedy, I knew acting, and I had a bunch of comedian friends. I just didn't know how to actually. Physicalize it. That's so great
0: that you actually you you had to find a little little community, a family, right? I think a lot of people see these videos and assume that everybody on like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok is like a one-person team just churning out work. And it's nice to know you have some collaborators. When did this happen and have you kind of stuck with that that
1: pod throughout? I mean, a lot of actors I've stuck with, but I've gone through some different camera operators or whatever over the Mm -hmm. over the time. But I've worked with my friend Paul for like the past four or five years now, and he's been like my tried or true partner. Uh, when it comes to like shooting. And he's in the videos too sometimes. Mm -hmm. I refer to him as Straight Paul. Um, (laughs) I just think it's funny to call people out. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta have a token straight. You gotta have one
0: that you can rag on, always. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So yeah, he's the person that I really make my videos with. And honestly, we have such a good relationship. It's so much fun. We edit together over Zoom during this pandemic life. I really have developed a love for the filmmaking aspect of things. It's not just comedy sketches. I really do enjoy what story you can tell and the smoke and mirrors that are involved in shooting things and editing and music. and All the little elements I never thought of that add Mm -hmm. to telling a story. And this all started initially because all my friends that were doing this weren't inviting me to do it with them. So basically this all formed out of jealousy.
0: I love that though, right? Like if an opportunity is not being opened up for you, you have to go out and and make one yourself. I feel like so many actors and comedians have, have kind of had to realize that, especially when you are, you know, a queer person and or a person of color. You know what I mean? When you see all these like conventionally attractive cis straight dudes getting all these TV roles, it's like, okay, all
1: right. Plus I had an agent throughout the time and all I ever got told was, you're very unique you very original, you know, be very specific, <laughs> very niche. Um, it's hard to digest because a lot of all my friends are gay and I live in Los Angeles and I grew up in New York. So I don't necessarily think of being gay as being that odd and different, but in the industry they do. And I think that they still do because I really don't see a lot of semi-flamboyant, you know, not hotties on TV and movies. And it's kind of like pissing me off.
0: You know, I think there is, you know, as much as I ragged on her comment, I think there is a kernel of truth to what we're talking about in light of what Kate Winslet said, right? That like...
1: I her full story that she's the biggest LA fruit fly. But... I know, right? Like she was just like, I have
0: four friends who are terrified yes. of coming out. And it's like, okay. But you know, I think it was in a, in a broader conversation about queer representation in Hollywood and like queer roles. And it's, I don't know, I think there's something very convenient about, you know, a straight actor that has recently played a queer role being like, things are so difficult for queer people. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not necessarily her fault. It is kind of like an institutional industry-wide thing, right? It's like Kate Winslet isn't the casting agent being like this guy's too fruity for this role. It's a casting agent somewhere. Or, you know, this woman is not a compelling lesbian. It's the
1: people with money. It's the people, even casting Mm -hmm. agents, I'm noticing they don't have as much power as I always thought. It's the people with the money. And the people with money are the same people that had money 10, 20, 30 years ago. Totally. So hmm. that's what's frustrating. We think things are changing, but the people that um, sign the checks haven't really changed, I don't think.
0: That's a very valid point. And it's also why I've been encouraged seeing uh, a lot of queer people kind of push for representation beyond what we see on screen. Because if nothing's mm-hmm. changing behind the scenes, if you if you don't have directors and producers and writers that are also queer and trans or people of color or representing marginalized voices, then you're going to get the same stuff with like a little peppering of diversity for the sake of saying they did, right? Exactly. Yeah, I feel that. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I also think it's important for lgbtq people to play lgbtq roles right. it gets under my skin so mm-hmm. much when non-lgbtq people play lgbtq people and then people are like uh what's the big deal it's acting it's this that yeah but it's frustrating mm-hmm. it's not like we're on a shortage of homos i know ton that are out of work <laughs> yeah seriously hi that it's the thing we want money you know what do you think H- how do you think our appeals get paid you know we want to do what we want to do too. And I don't need to see some actor and love Simon or whatever also play straight and, th- and then play this and play that and be a superhero and all this and also play gay and then it's like it, get, it just it agitates me that playing gay is just a thing on his resume you know
0: totally yeah no i mean i i feel that cuz you raise a good point right it's not necessarily that people are are offended it's just annoying to not see right. queer and trans people benefit from queer and trans stories being told like it sucks especially when you know oh. you've had doors closed
1: yeah and the thing is i don't want to necessarily play straight. I don't want to play somebody with a wife and kids. So why don't you just let me play Gay. Yeah. Let those people play the people with wife and kids or whatever.
0: Yeah. Let the normies be normie. I have no interest. <laughs> <laughs> for real. So, Michael, I have another question for you. So, there was a survey from 2017 called Top 10 Jobs That Kids Want. And it went uh-huh. viral last month. It's actually from a study conducted by a travel company. So, I don't know how valid that is. But basically, in the study, they listed like the top 10 jobs for kids. And they claimed that the number one job these days that kids overwhelmingly want when they grow up is. YouTuber. Mm -hmm. That was the exact phrase they used, which to be fair is broad. You know, I see makeup artists and comedians and like visual artists, um, a lot of different people online. Right. And I know that YouTube isn't the only area in which you operate. But I do want to ask having, you know, worked making videos online and creating content that you distribute online for so long. What would you say to these kids? Would you be like, follow your dream, get your life? Or would you be like, we need to talk about the realities of of (laughs) getting these videos
1: done? Well, for sure. I mean, First, like you said, YouTube is broad. Uh, It's like saying, I want to be on NBC. Okay, they have a couple things. But um, if you just want to be on YouTube because you want to be famous, you could be famous, of course, on there. But... I don't think people really realize it can be hard for some people. You know, a lot of people that really peak on YouTube, uh, or the ones that peaked a while ago, they end up wanting to be reclusive now because they couldn't handle all that attention, all that scrutiny. And you can't always handle everybody's love and attention because they hold you to a standard. There's a lot of other things that go along with being praised for whatever work you're doing on YouTube. But once you do become successful on there, it can be hard to manage that. So that's what I would tell people. Get a therapist. Yeah, make sure your therapy bills are getting paid because you need to know how to handle it going well. And I hope it does go well. I love that advice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Invest in a therapist first, then buy a ring
1: light. You know what I mean? We got to get our (laughs) priorities in order. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, plus this day and age, you have to watch your P's and Q's also. You can't be as unfiltered on YouTube or Mm -hmm. social media like maybe you used to because you you could say the wrong thing, and then you can have this entire empire that you've suddenly built for yourself, and it be taken away because you said the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a there's much more of a microscope on folks kind of going out and doing their own thing. You know, like I guess you know a while back, you just go do some stand up or try out a character mm-hmm. at a show, and if it bombed or you did something terrible, you could kind of figure it out from there. But it's interesting because I feel like, I don't know, cancel culture is such a broad umbrella. Like, I think, you know, there's definitely folks on the Internet who purposefully might try to twist words and and find fault. They kind of get off on on being mean. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I do think that there are, you know, like we talked about a lot of people in power, a lot of the folks making money that that have talked trash about marginalized communities that are now demanding a seat at the table and aren't going to take that shit anymore. Yeah, it's a it's a complex kind of world to navigate. And it's one that's always Personally, like, I've never been thrilled to kind of partake in. I used to have a job where I would, I would like host YouTube videos and I, after a while, it wasn't fun. You know, I right. think I was also going through the filter of the job. Like it wasn't me unfiltered. Like I had editors who would look at my script and be like, you can't say that. You can't do this. And then, right. anyway, I, I did not derive a lot of joy
1: from it. That's too bad. I mean, I derive a lot of joy from my videos because of what I do online, because like we said earlier, I was not getting hired to do anything. You mm-hmm. know, I have a lot of friends that book all the time. I never would book anything. and It would make me feel so, unco- so unhappy and insecure. And maybe I'm in the wrong field. And I'm just so happy that, you know, YouTube and social media is a thing for people like me that think it's too unique to do other things. Mm-hmm. My unique voice is what has connected me to millions and millions of people now.
0: Yeah, and that's what's so beautiful that you can find people who might not be in your city or town, but who you know find that your work resonates for them. Has that been kind of something that you
1: found over the years that you've really? Oh, totally! I was shocked. Only half of my audience is in America. Oh, wow! Yeah, I have people watching in like Brazil, China. I'm in the. I'm on the dark web in China because what? I don't. Because I don't think they have YouTube there. You're too gay to be on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Someone sent me a website where my videos translated into other languages underneath it in China. So I'm like, wow, it's just so cool. And something that I just really took for granted and didn't think of is that people in these other countries where being gay or queer is like illegal and they, they're they in the closet. They feel like I'm their friend because they don't really know people like me, even though they feel like they're someone like me. And that's something I really took for granted is that I have tons of gay friends of gay friends, no gay lovers. <laughs> but I took it for granted that I have a, a peer group. Absolutely. Oh, that is so sweet. That's so
0: great to hear. Right? Like, I don't know. I think back to the old days. I would like, you know, look for gay people in a chat room on AOL with like Uh-oh. my dial-up modem. It's so depressing. Totally. I, I oh love God. that. Like, yeah, folks everywhere can like find someone who, that makes them laugh and they can relate to on YouTube.
1: That's great. Yeah, it is. I mean, and honestly, it's the same for me too. I, w- I watch a couple of YouTubers where they like doing vlog style stuff. And I feel like I'm um, their friend. I know I'm not. I know I'm not Shelby Church's friend, but I <laughs> love watching her renovate her Palm Springs home. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: like me listening to Trixie and Katya do anything together. Totally. I've been watching
1: their videos for so long.
0: I'm like, you guys are my best friends now. And when we hang out, like, mm-hmm. I'm just I am fully inserted myself into their friendship because I feel totally. so much a part
1: of it, even though I'm not at all. Totally. I mean, and I feel like that, too. But I'm still still starstruck by these people that like I've gotten a chance to work with Trixie a couple times even once for a queery video and I'm like now I have nothing to say because I'm nervous that I'm going to say stupid <laughs> stuff, even though I like watch your, your videos on YouTube and all this. And I'm like, yeah, girl, yeah, go off. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'm like talking to you all the time when I'm by myself, but I'm nervous now that I can do it in person. Of course.
0: Okay. Well, this is actually a great point to take a very quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about a few more folks you collaborated with and uh, a little bit more about, you know, making content online and kind of how people respond. But we are going to take a very quick ad break and we will be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to the Quirky Podcast. Hopefully you haven't gone anywhere and you know what the deal is. I'm your host, Gabe Gonzalez. We are here with comedian and actor Michael Henry. We've been having a lovely conversation so far. And before the break, Michael, you mentioned that you had worked with Trixie Mattel, a beloved drag queen before. And uh, earlier, I talked about some of the other folks that you have worked with. Tammy Brown, Pandora, Kelly Mantle. These to me are like very iconic queens from Drag Race, but who yeah. have really created a very unique uh, brand and kind of comedic voice after that show, right? They are not just the reality TV contestant you see. So how did you maybe start collaborating with some of these people? How did that
1: connection happen? And how's that been? It's been great. I mean, Trixie has been so nice. She actually uh, messaged me on Twitter because I mentioned her in, in a video I did. I mentioned season seven actually being my favorite season. Yes. And then I guess someone sent her that video and then she messaged me and was like, I love your video, blah, blah, blah. And I was mm-hmm. like, gobsmacked. So since then, we chit have chatted a little bit here there, got, did a query video, she did a video on my channel, did a video for her, for her tour, it was, honestly, it was just so, she's one of the nicest people, too, and then Tammy, I'm friends with John, her uh, collaborator on the, mm-hmm. on the production end of stuff, and he's been able to bring me into some of his stuff, which has been really awesome, and he knows, like, Kelly and Tammy and some of the mm-hmm. other queens, they're all really nice, it's a hustle, you know, I think it was Trixie or someone that said that the real work comes after the show, because you got to keep yourself relevant of it, really, absolutely, yeah. There's only so much
0: of you that's going to make the cut in a reality show, right? We're getting a very specific version of this person or this performer, and uh, so many queens have kind of, kind of reclaimed the way the public sees them after the show. And I think we mm-hmm. found there's a lot more dimension and depth to some of these performers than
1: than we would have seen on TV. Totally. I mean, I mean, look at Trixie and Katya. I mean, who who would have thought that watching the season, they would actually be the standouts in the RuPaul's Drag Race universe? Yeah, you don't have to win the show to win it life. That's the cardinal rule. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah, or and you could win the show and then the opposite happened. True.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> that is real. That's real. That's too right, real. Just
1: because you win the show doesn't mean you're untouchable. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so I have um one more question for you before we're gonna play a little game I like to call Let Me Get You Cancelled that is not as terrifying as it sounds I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you you seem unfazed. You're like, all right, we got it. That's fine. <laughs> (laughs) Whatever, try it <laughs> i <I'll> try it. <laughs> try anything once. <laughs> okay, so this last question is kind of related to a story we were talking about earlier. Hate speech on sites like YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, YouTube in particular has faced some flack in the past regarding its treatment of LGBTQ content and how it handles harassment. And, you know, I think so has Twitter and, and Facebook lately. And I think we've seen that kind of exacerbated with a lot of hate speech targeting immigrants, uh, Asian American communities, Muslim communities, queer and trans communities. So I'd like to ask you about your personal experience, right? We speak about these things broadly, but I'm wondering how you feel as a queer person making content for social media channels that maybe put a target on your back for, for mm-hmm. some people who are hateful. Right. And do you think that there is more that these sites could or should do to curb hate speech? Right.
1: Well, from my own perspective, I think by now, most people that watch my videos know that we're acting. We're mm-hmm. playing roles that I wrote. So everybody in the videos, they're not really sharing their own actual perspective. Even myself, i Michael in my videos, all the words that come out of my mouth are not my actual true perspective. I have to make the parts polarizing and black and white and binary in order for there to be an interesting conversation. So I'm uh, portraying conversations that I've overheard, seen on blogs, something that triggered me, and then I'm turn it into a script and something that people can watch. And pe- and I want people to have strong opinions in the comment section. That's once I see that people are arguing in the comment section, I'm like, ah,
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> you're like and any engagement is good engagement i really? not- <laughs> but that's
1: what i want i want I want to spark people's heavy debates and uh, engage their minds. You know, anybody could do logs and speedos and just engage in that way. With just, There's no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I want people to talk about, you know, more heavy things sometimes. So I think back to the original thought is that people know that it's not completely me. Uh, I'm playing a bit of a role. If you're someone that is just vlogging and saying my own opinions, you can get people can really scrutinize that and I don't know completely how I feel about that. I think people sometimes misspeak and they're under pressure and they say the wrong thing because who knows maybe they were in a, a, a on a podcast that lasted 2 hours and then <laughs> an hour 50 they're tired and say the wrong thing. I feel like there's a lot of variables that you don't really know from a sound bite.
0: No, that's valid. So you mentioned that you know sometimes you see a lot of debate in the comments section. Is mm-hmm. there a video where the response kind of surprised you, or you were like, "Oh yeah. wow, this really hit a
1: nerve"? Yeah, you know, uh, one that was kind of recent. It was actually January last year. The, it wasn't even the topic of the video. The topic of the video was, "I'm not gay," and it was about someone that didn't want to use labels. And in it, I said. Because he's like, uh, oh, I'm not gay, and I'm like, oh, you're not, and he, <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're bisexual. He's like, no, and that, <laughs> and that means that there's only two genders. And I said, I put that in there because I had overheard a young Gen Z person say that, and I thought it made sense that bisexual, binary, you know, bicycle. It's only referring to two of something. But the comment section went wild. That's not the case. So then I even did a follow-up video. And even that follow-up video, people were saying that some of the stuff in in the video, the vocabulary was not 100%. So I was intrigued by how that topic really got... A lot of people fired up. But I was here for it. I like that kind of debate. I mean, people weren't necessarily saying, Michael Henry, you got this wrong, take it down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting. And then another one that I did was about preferences. You know, when people say, uh, no Asian, no black, no this, no that. Oh, on God, a, on yeah. app. And I was really shocked by the amount of people of color that said they didn't have a problem with that. And it really actually made me feel bad that you're okay with that, that you're just so conditioned to that this just being a part of how this works. And uh, that was kind of interesting how many people were okay with that and did not see it as a racial slight or injustice or racism.
0: White supremacy works in mysterious ways and anybody can perpetuate it. That is. Yeah, no, truly. Uh, Yeah, I think we've seen that this year, too, in our political spectrum. A lot of folks were negatively impacted by the policies or words of politicians defending them. And you're like, what? Like, why would you take the time to defend this terrible thing or way of, you know, approaching something brainwashing is real yeah no it's wild that's really Mm -hmm. wild that is so interesting to hear too and i love that you are kind of receptive to that right like i myself have been i was listening to an interview recently i forget where it was i think it was a a video produced by dot gay that new like website extension and i heard the best breakdown of the difference between bisexual and pansexual i had ever heard and i don't again i don't know if this is right but the way this person broke it down is bisexual means you are attracted to more than one gender right and pansexual means you you can potentially be attracted to any gender, right? So maybe bisexual is like, I'm attracted to cis and trans dudes, but not cis or trans women, right? Whereas Absolutely. like pansexual would be like, I'm attracted to all people, no matter their gender identity. Right. And that was the first time where it clicked for me because I too, you know, linguistically back when we had a very binary understanding of gender, I understand right. that like bisexual seemed all encompassing to whoever coined that. But it's it's kind of cool to know that like maybe you sparked a conversation that that will prompt somebody to do more research or look into something or, or kind of totally. figure it out for themselves. Yeah,
1: Totally. And then it does make me rethink, redo some Googling and talking to people and stuff and it, it's really interesting because that was the my follow-up video. People were like, bisexual and pansexual are the same thing or some people were like, <laughs> explained almost just what you did. And it's interesting to see all the different opinions in the <laughs> queer community on a topic. Oh, that's what I enjoy. My comment section is like a message board. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good way to look at it. It's
0: be a total mess sometimes, but somewhere in there, there's something good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the right perspective, right? We should all be constantly learning and evolving and not taking it personally when we are maybe corrected or, or, you know, approached about approaching something differently. I love the way that you are just... Unbothered, chugging ahead. We're all learning. We're growing together. We're going to keep doing our thing. I really love that. That's a great perspective.
1: I will say I do get bothered sometimes, mm-hmm. but then I have to, that's my immediate reaction. My second reaction is, okay, this is a good debate. This is, a, we're all learning something. And I'm usually, in, even in my videos, I'm not giving anybody real answers or advice. I'm giving more questions. And that's what really makes the comments go crazy, which I like because it gives people, the people are sharing their opinions. And I think with that video about the preference, a lot. A lot of people were commenting with their first reaction. People that are not people of color do not want to be called out. And they're very defensive. And they're not necessarily being like, okay, maybe I do need to make a shift, blah, blah, blah. Not everybody has therapy like me.
0: That's real. That's real. Again, invest in a therapist and then a ring light. That should be the rule for the Internet. I love that. All right, Michael, well, talking to you today has been a treat. And before Mm -hmm. we let you go, I am going to play a little game. We got a few games in rotation here, but one of the first ones I started playing on the show is called Let Me Get You Canceled. And in this game, we ask somebody to defend an unpopular or obviously incorrect opinion, uh, usually one ripped from the week's news. And today I would like you to expand on a bad opinion. So. So we talked earlier on the show about this pastor who insists that people are not born gay, but that a spirit is inside them making them homosexual. So I am going to ask you not only to agree with this assertion that homosexuality is caused by spirit, but we are going to ask you to dive deeper to describe the homosexual spirit living inside of you and making you gay. Does this spirit have a name? Is it a demon? What is it like to eat? Talk to me about your homosexual spirit. Tell us five things about it, if you can.
1: (laughs) About my personal homosexual spirit.
0: Yes. The demon inside you making you gay, as this (laughs) pastor
1: said. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess the demon inside me found me at infancy and decided that i was going to be uh sassy and funny and unique and i think that this person that's haunting me really has an attitude problem (laughs) Uh, yeah they have they're an overeater they have a sweet tooth and they've been they've been haunting inside of me all those traits (laughs) i don't know if i necessarily want to exorcism Uh, maybe i wish i could swap out what's inside me with a different gay spirit, maybe one that's a little bit more um fashion conscious. <laughs> like I would I would love to be swapped out with a, like like a Violet Tchotchke type spirit cuz right now I think I have like maybe a Tempest du Jour. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tepes du Jour, it's me, (laughs) but um, I would like to see how the other half haunts.
0: Okay, yes, that catchphrase. are amazing? Thank you for that illustrative description. I'm also going to take a page out of your book. You know, maybe there's a silver lining to this crazy pastor. Now we can just blame the homosexual spirit inside of us when we're being extra or kind of messy.
1: It's not me calling you drunk. It's the spirit inside of me. Yes. (laughs)
0: Fully. I love that. Let's Uh name ours. And then uh, when we re-meet, we'll have names for them, too. That'll be great. (laughs) Uh, I like that. I don't know. I think mine's maybe a Tanya. I'll have to figure it out, though. I'll talk to her.
1: Tanya. My mom said if I was going to be a girl, my name would be Sharon. Ooh, okay Maybe maybe this freaking thing is a Sharon.
0: She's a Sharon. All right. (laughs) Sharon and Tanya on today's podcast. Love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, Michael, we're we're actually the end of the
0: show. Thank you so much for coming on today and just... Humoring me when I ask ridiculous things and shedding so much light on the work you're making—it's such an interesting peek into your process and your perspective on things. I do appreciate it, and I would love for our audience to know where can they find you online, in person. What's the best way to see and hear more from you?
1: Well, thank you for having me on this podcast. I love you. I love Queerty, and I love watching myself in this low definition screen. (laughs) Yes, but everybody could find me on YouTube at my. Michael Henry comedy, my TikTok and my Instagram and Twitter, Michael Henry915. And you can find me at Bolt Cafe, uh, At uh, where I get all my writing done during the day. <laughs> so if you ever want to harass me, I'm there. <laughs> If you want
0: a celebrity sighting, you're going to have the paparazzi showing up. That's great. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again, Michael Henry. Uh, it's been a blast. And if you're listening, please make sure to support the Queerty podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I love five stars, but you know, I appreciate honesty too. Just be gentle. Be gentle on Tanya, okay? She's going through it. And you can you can get your Queerty fix every day at Queerty.com. Queerty has been a joint Production between Forever Dog and Q Digital, Quirty is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shereen Lani Music is by Gabe Lopez and executive produced by Joe Silio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D.
1: Mons. Forever <coughs> Dog.